0: If you're with us this morning and you are without a Bible, there's some men coming up the aisle right now, and uh, they've got some Bibles, and if you just wave to them and get their attention, they'll get one into your hands. We want everyone to be able to listen to the teaching but also see the Bible with their own eyes. Ephesians chapter 1. Also be aware that the new Calvary Chapel magazine is uh, out, latest uh, copy of that, lots of articles about what the Lord is doing all around the world. You can pick up a free copy in the book lending library upstairs or at the information counter in the foyer after the service. I had you turn to Ephesians just so you'll hold your place there for future reference. Now let's turn to, um, I know you can multitask. Let's turn to uh, the First Thessalonians chapter 5. And this will be our text for this morning. First Thessalonians, Chapter Five, a single verse, verse eighteen. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for what it does in our lives, and that it's a living book in the hands of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that it would fashion us this morning, fashion our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, Lord into the image of Christ. And we just look to You, Lord, to meet with us as we study Your Word. We acknowledge it's going to outlive the heavens and the earth, and all of it points to Christ, Lord. And we want the richness of every section of it to be built into our lives, and we look to Your Holy Spirit to do that this morning in each one of us. We pray that our time, not only in worship and song, but also The worship and the study of of your word would bring you great pleasure, Lord, as you listen to the words of our mouth, but also the meditations of our heart. We pray that all would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, and that all of it would bring you pleasure. Thank you for your heart of love toward us. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Christ Jesus, and we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In this coming week, we are going to individually and as a nation celebrate Thanksgiving Day. And it has been a tradition in our nation, really, in one form or another, going all the way back to the pilgrims in 1619, when the first Thanksgiving was celebrated by the pilgrims on, as an expression of thanks to God for getting them through a particularly brutal winter. Thankfulness is the deep sense of gratitude that we feel because of some recognized blessing in our lives. It is the deep sense of gratitude that we feel because of some recognized blessing in our lives, something that someone has done for us or something that someone has given to us. Thankfulness is a good thing. It is always a good thing. There's not much in life you can declare that about, but you can declare that concerning thankfulness. Thankfulness is good in the child of God, first and foremost, because it blesses God's heart. Any earthly father, any earthly parent notices when their children says, thank you or not, when we bless them. And the Lord noticed that about His children too. When a father gives gifts to his children, he never expects the children to repay in kind or to give a gift in return of an equal value. That's not what a father cares about. What a father enjoys doing is to bless his children. But what allows him to enjoy doing the blessing even more than the one that receives the blessing is when that father then receives a thank you for giving that gift. And if a father, an earthly father or parent, gives to a child and there is no thank you that is given in return, there is something of the circle that's incomplete. There's something that Mars, how beautiful it could have been for all parties involved. It's the power of thankfulness. That's the importance of thankfulness. And what is true of an earthly father is true of our heavenly father. When a child takes the time to express their thankfulness for the gifts that he has blessed us with, that is what is most priceless to him. I think of Jesus in the cleansing of the ten lepers in his ministry. He cleansed them all of leprosy, an incurable disease in those days. And as he cleansed them of their leprosy, only one of them came back to give him thanks. And Jesus said, when the one came back, the cleansed leopard, he said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where? are the nine, and it teaches us some things about thankfulness. <clears throat> Number one, that Jesus notices when he's thanked by those that he's done good for, and he notices when he isn't thanked. It also tells us that thanksgiving is important to him. It's important to his heart. And when we give gifts and to our children or to our grandchildren, It's a great joy to do that within, you know, our abilities to do that. But it means a great deal to us when we're thanked and we tend to notice it when we are and when we aren't. And so it is with the Lord. Thanksgiving is good, number one, because it blesses our Father. But Thanksgiving is also good because it blesses others. I think that surely a spirit or a disposition of gratitude and thankfulness is one of the most beautiful things that can adorn a human life. I mean, it, that makes a life stand out in this, this world that we live in. The kind of person who walks through life, the kind of Christian who walks through life and never ceases to be conscious of, to be awed by all of their blessings I mean, they, 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 are, they wear their thankfulness like an ornament. It's like a fragrance on them. You, you can't be in their presence for five minutes except you become aware of the fact that this is a deeply thankful person. And to be around that kind of person is one of life's blessings. They bring beauty into every room they enter into. They bring beauty to every family, every situation that they enter into. They elevate everything around them. And the reason that it has this kind of an effect on other people is because to live a life that's marked by thanksgiving is to live a life like Christ, like Jesus. We're told that when he took the five loaves and the two fish in his hands and he and he was about to multiply it and feed that great crowd of 5,000 men, and we don't know how many women and children were there also. We're told that when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. As he meditated upon the makeup in general of the crowds that were following him, in great, great numbers. And he saw how many of the common people were finding hope in him and rest in him. He prayed to the Father and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. For even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. And then, as he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he expressed his thanksgiving to the Father in prayer. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said that this, that they may believe that you sent me. And then even on the night, before he was going to die on the cross, as he initiated the Lord's Supper, With the disciples, we are told that as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. Thankfulness is simply beautiful in a human life because it is to live a life like Christ who lived the most beautiful life in human history. Thankfulness is also good because it blesses us. It is is its own blessing because it allows us to enjoy our blessings in a way that we would not otherwise be able to enjoy them. I think a classic example for the child of God is a meal. When a Christian sits down to a meal and acknowledges God as the provider of that meal and gives God thanksgiving for that meal, he or she will enjoy that meal vastly more than than he or she would otherwise. Not just sitting down at a table, there's food there, and I put it into my body, but now I'm going to enjoy this meal as a gift from God. I'm going to enjoy it in fellowship with God. Every bite is, Lord, you've been so good to me. Thank you so much for this meal. I think about common and ordinary things in life like taking a walk. And the thankful person is to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, I know that not everybody because of age or infirmity can take a walk on a late fall day. But I thank you that you've given me the strength to enjoy the beauty of the fall and the briskness of the air, and not to just take a walk because I have the physical ability to do it, but to enjoy all that I'm going to see, all that I'm going to hear in fellowship, in communion with you. The same thing goes for a drive through the countryside, or a vacation, or a thankfulness to God every time the car starts. Or you lay your head down on the pillow at the end of the day to sleep. And you say, Lord, thank you for this pillow. Thank you for this bed. Thank you for a place to lay down. And on and on it goes. Concerning sunrises and sunsets and children and grandchildren and friends and church. Good things are made even better when we recognize that they come from Him. And we can enjoy them with Him. This quality of thankfulness to God, what it adds to life. It gives us the ability to relive His blessings as He blesses us with something and we've enjoyed the moment where He's given that blessing to us, but then to give Him thanks extends the blessing. Every time we give Him thanks, it's like we've received it again. We're overwhelmed again. Somebody's written The worst moment for the atheist is when he's really thankful and has nobody to thank. And it's true. I Honestly, as God is my witness, I pity them. I pity how much is missed in life when life is lived apart from God and apart from thankfulness to Him. And our text tells us that as Christians, we're to be a thankful people. That's to be our disposition. That is to be an unbroken, constant kind of characteristic in each of our uh, lives as Christians. It tells us that this is the will of God for us. I think many of us spend a good portion of our Christian lives asking, wondering what is God's will for my life or asking Him for wisdom situation by situation because we so value living in His will. We so want to live a life uh, in line with His will for our lives. And so when we come upon these passages in the Bible where His will is already revealed to us, we click our little ruby slippers or whatever and just are so thankful to know, you know, here is a way plainly told that this is His will in each of our lives that we would be a thanksgiving or a thankful people. The passage also tells us that in everything we are to give thanks because for the Christian, there is always a cause for thanksgiving. Now, you notice in the passage it does not say, for everything, give thanks, but it says, in everything give thanks. I can't, I can't give thanks for everything. I can't give thanks for the devil. I can't give thanks for sin. But, but I can't... So there are those things that you can't give thanks for, but we can give thanks in all things. You notice that word everything. In everything give thanks. Now everything includes a lot. That covers a lot of territory. It includes good times. It includes hard times, times of abundance, times of need, sad times, happy times, mountaintop experience times, long seasons in the valleys of life times. It includes every circumstance in life. So, this must mean that as Christians... In every circumstance in life, there are reasons to be thankful, number one. And number two, that the reasons for our thankfulness are immovable. They are unshakable. They are unchanging. They are completely unaffected by the circumstances in this fallen world that we have reasons to be thankful no matter what's going on in this world internationally or nationally or locally or in our family or in our own personal lives, that the blessings that we possess lie safely beyond the reaches of any circumstance in this life and any circumstance that this fallen world can throw at us, and we do. Now to Ephesians chapter 1 where some of those blessings that come from God and lie far beyond the reach of any circumstance in this world of being affected by those circumstances are listed. I remember speaking at a pastor's conference many years ago in Indiana when prior to the session that I was going to speak the worship leader got up and he sang a song that I had never heard Before and I have never heard since. And one of the lines that he sang that was a part of that worship song went something like this And since the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. And he was singing about the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And that line is true of every spiritual blessing that is ours as Christians because of our faith in Jesus Christ and Ephesians chapter 1 here's the Apostle Paul writing from a prison in Rome he's gonna write about in everything give thanks and yet he does He's writing from a prison in Rome, and he writes this letter reminding the Christians in Ephesus, reminding himself, reminding us of all of the blessings that belong to us as Christians, no matter what the present circumstance is in life. I think every so often, as the old hymn says, it's important to stop and not only to count our blessings, but also to name them one by one. The Apostle Paul names many of our blessings one by one in Ephesians chapter 1. That hymn, Count Your Blessings, by Reverend Johnson Oatman, Jr. Let me read a couple of stanzas from it. He said, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Let me read verse 3 for you. When you look at others with their lands in gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold, Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. And I think about these blessings in in Ephesians chapter 1, and I I want us to notice a handful of them, and as we do, just to savor them for a moment. I remember when I was a kid, uh, anytime we got any kind of spare money, we found a a pop bottle that you could redeem or whatever it might be. We knew where the candy store was. And I, I don't care what stockbroker or whoever takes and leverages or, or financial pl- planner, leverages their net worth to get the most out of what... They don't even rival a kid with eight cents A big pop bottle and a small pop bottle, a nickel and three cents, standing in front of a whole wall of penny candy. We know how to leverage that out to get the very most bulk. And sometimes we'd go to somebody's house, and it was almost always an older person. Of course, everyone seemed ancient when you're in elementary school. Sometimes they'd walk in, and it's just something about a kid. You can spot it right away, a candy bowl. Now, hard candies have never been my favorite. And, and now with my dental work, they really are something that I just look at in the bowl. But you'd come in, and your eye as a kid, you could just zo- you spot it. I mean, they could have trophies or gold bullion or antelope up on the wall, heads or whatever it might be. And you'd spot that candy and they give you one of those hard candies. Oh, it always be the same thing. They'd say, suck it, don't bite it. See, this is hard candy. You savor this kind of candy. I always think of these blessings in Ephesians chapter one. They're kind of they're savor blessings. We're going to have to rush through them, so I don't know why I'm introducing them this way. But anyway, for your own purposes later, to just pop one of them in your mouth and take a walk with them. You know, when I was a kid too. Is this? I guess this happens to you when you get older. You're going to have to put up with it. With me, I guess I'm going to tell you every story of my childhood before we're done. Not today, but before I'm done with this pastorate. But I remember going to the Uptown Theater in Napa, California, and. Uh, Usually, we had just enough to get into the theater and see the movies. once in a while, we would, we'd have enough for some Tootsie rolls or some juju bees. Juju bees, that, that was a poor boy's candy. You could that last through anything. It was like eating it was like hardened soap. I mean, I don't know what the <laughs> taste is with them or anything. They're just lousy. But they get you through two features. I remember just a couple of times. Having enough money in my pocket to buy the chocolate ice cream bonbons. Oh, Oh, yes, struck a nerve there, didn't we? (laughs) You got a hand wave back there. God bless you. (laughs) Glory to God. And I'd go back to my seat. And I tell you, we didn't choke those down one right after another. You savored those. Made them last just as long as you possibly could. And I think it's good to savor these blessings that he lists here. Notice in verse 4, the blessings that we have that are beyond the reach of the circumstances of this world, that were chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. That's amazing. Our salvation is a part of his plan that reaches all the way forward in eternity, but it also reaches back all the way before the foundation of the world. And our salvation is so sure that God already sees us seated in the heavenly places. He already sees me there. Chapter 2, verse 6. He knew all about us before there was in us. He was never surprised by what he got in any of us. Before there was a a you, and he knew there was going to be a you all about you, nothing we do, nothing we are surprises him. No failure, no sin, no flaws, no ups, no downs, no twists, no turns. I think about Charles Spurgeon... And he had the quote, and it went something like this, and that's a qualifying term because I'm not quoting him, but you get the idea of it. He said, in effect, concerning God, I'm glad he chose me before I was born because he might not have after I was born. (laughs) I think that's true of a lot of us. And I'm very fond of what Gail Irwin has said in this vein. Many years ago, I heard him say it. He said, the only thing that makes me wonder about God is his choice of me. I tell you, that's an awe. That's a thankfulness. That's an awe over the goodness of God. Notice in verse five, we've been adopted by God. So not only has He saved us, but He's adopted us into His family. Now, one of the interesting things about an adoption is that when you have uh, children uh, naturally, you, you through childbirth. I mean. Basically, you're stuck with what you get. There's no giving them back. That's your child, and that's it. The interesting thing about an adoption process is you get to choose who you adopt. And so you get to know this child, you get to know about their background and all of that, and God, knowing all about us, chose to adopt us anyway. And again, not just to forgive us of our sins, but to bring us into a family, into his family, to bring us into a personal relationship with him. He didn't need to do that. He could have just forgiven us and said, all right, I'm making a planet for these people, but it's way out there, away from me. But he didn't do it. He adopted us right into his, his family. Notice in verse 6 that we've been accepted in the beloved. To be accepted in life is one of the great cravings of the human heart. You watch how young people in general, you couldn't pay me any amount of money to go back to my junior high years or my early senior high years, this Painful, I mean almost terminal, dominating desire to be accepted. The clothes we wear to be accepted. The things that we do, crazy things to be accepted. And there's this great need for acceptance in our lives. And it's not just true of young people, it's true of older people. Peer pressure goes all the way through till we get into heaven. And this this great desire that we that we have, and you so often you'll watch in an adult, uh, even in an adult person, where they're always trying to prove themselves to be accepted, and so they're always pushing in sports and in business and hobby and and conversation. I love Dilbert's comic in the paper, and they got that guy called Topper. No matter what story you tell, this guy's going to top you. Doesn't even care if his story is so crazy nobody would believe it. He's got something within him. He's just got to top every story that he hears because he craves the acceptance that way. And so often it is a person who feels that the only way that they can be accepted or cared for by others is by constantly doing something extraordinary. And the sad thing about it is that there's no rest there. But God says, when you come into this relationship, you won't need to do that. This is a relationship that you can rest in. This is a relationship that you can enjoy because of the greatness of what my son has done on the cross for you. You can't top that. You can't add to that. You don't need to add to that. And so we've been accepted in the beloved And then notice in verse 7, we have redemption through His blood. And that word redemption means to be released upon the payment of a ransom. And we would talk about, we would say that in the modern terminology, that we've been liberated because of our faith in Jesus Christ. God has liberated us from the bondage of sin in our lives So, as Jesus said, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I think about what it means today to me. You think about what it means to you today to be forgiven, to not have to carry all of that around every single day. Think about what it means to be freed from the power of sin. What a blessing. And then notice in verses 7 and 8, got a little ahead of myself. We have the forgiveness of sins. I'll tell you, that's going to preach all the way to the new heavens and the new earth to just stop and to think about the life that I get to live, the life that you get to live, that every time some sin from my past would want to arise, I'm able to say, God, I know I did that. But I believe that the sacrifice of your Son upon the cross is greater than anything in my past. I rejoice in the greatness of your forgiveness toward me. How loaded down with guilt and bondage we would be in without that forgiveness that is ours in Christ. And not just about what we did before we came to know the Lord. The Bible says that if we confess our sins today as a Christian, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then notice we've been sealed, verses 13 and 14, with the Holy Spirit. I say it very often, but as long as I never tire of saying it, as long as I never fall into mindlessly saying it, I'll continue to say it. One of the greatest things that happens in a human life is in the day that we're born again and put our faith in Jesus for our salvation. The greatest miracle that occurs in all of life, it will occur all over this city today. It will occur all over the world. And that is when a person puts their faith in Jesus as their Savior God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit comes into their life and they're born again by that Holy Spirit. Amazing to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit as an evidence that we belong to God and then as a guarantee that one day we're going to inherit all of the eternal glory of heaven. And on and on we could go. And through the remainder of chapter 1 into chapter 2, into chapter 3, on and on we could go into the entirety of the Bible and give God thanks for His Word, for all of His promises in the Bible, for the privilege of being able to obey His Word and thus to live a holy life. For many of us in the room today to be able to thank God today for a godly home, for godly parents, for godly children, for the body of Christ, for the privilege of service that keeps so many of us out of so much trouble and gives us meaning and purpose in life that we would never otherwise know. To thank Him for daily bread, to thank Him for daily food and clothing and for shelter and on and on we could go. This morning, now we want to take some time to actually express our thanksgiving to the Lord as we partake of the Lord's Supper. He says there in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. That is more than being thankful. It is a wonderful thing to be a thankful person. But what Paul calls on us to do here is even more than that, as wonderful as that is. He calls on us to not only to be thankful, but then to take the time to express our thanksgiving to God for the great blessings that he has brought into our lives. For who and what God is and what he means to us, and for who and what we are because of him in our lives. But I think he just wants to hear our thanks this morning. It's good for him. He likes it. But it's also good for us as it reminds us of all of the blessings that are ours in life that lie beyond the reach of any government of any circumstance, of any neighbor, of any family member, of any situation in life. All of these things that we have and we are in Christ Jesus. If you sit here today and you're not yet a Christian, here's what you need to do to become a Christian. Just pray a prayer like this to God and just say to him, God, I believe that I am a sinner But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I want to make him my Savior today and receive the forgiveness of my sins as I put my faith in him. I give you my life today now. Make it yours. And when you pray a prayer like that to the Lord, God's Holy Spirit will come into your life and you can enjoy the Lord's Supper with us. If you sit here today and you're not a Christian and you say, I'm not willing to do that yet, not ready to do that yet, that's fine, but I would just ask that you not partake of the elements with us. Sit, enjoy the rest of the service, but don't partake of the elements. And the reason for that is, is that in the eyes of God, to partake of the symbols of Jesus, the physical symbols of Jesus' body and of his blood, and yet then at the same time to reject him and his salvation at the same time, it, it's inconsistent. And so, you'll want to wait until you are a Christian to partake of the Lord's Supper. So, if the men will come forward and, as the, and the worship team would come forward, we will serve the bread first, hold on to it, and uh, we will pray together and we'll partake together, and then we'll do the same thing with a cup.